If the truth were told, there's a little of you in that guy as well, huh? You know, there's a side of us, if, if honesty was just spilled, that uh, is, is demotivated at work. Uh, often motivation is a real issue. That's what we want to talk about as we continue our study of our jobs, is what is, what is firing us up to work with diligence, or maybe there's nothing that's firing us up to work with diligence, and that we try to get by with the absolute minimum. We kind of say, you know, I'm just going to do enough to avoid losing my job, do enough to get my paycheck, but that's all I care about, and then I'm out of here because work is punishment. They have that attitude? Some do. You know, this topic of what motivates us is work. Jen and I, my wife and I had an experience years ago that marked me. I still remember it. This dates back to when Jen and I were looking to buy our first house. We met with a realtor who was a great guy, very enthusiastic. Towards the end of our meeting, he looked at us and he said, I like you two. You're a precious couple, and it will bring me great joy to help you find your first house. And he said, and you should know that I don't care about making money. All I want to do is help you get a house. And I kind of rolled my eyes, and I remember telling him, listen, buddy, you can admit that you want to gain a fair wage on this. There's no shame in that. And he said, Jeff, I'm not kidding you. I, I don't care about that. I'm like, Whatever. He's like, really, I don't need to make money. And he said, believe it or not, I won the lottery. And I'm like, you did not. And he's like, no, I did. Five years ago, I won $20 million. And he showed me a newspaper article about him winning the lottery, the whole bit. And he said, uh, he goes, I'll tell you what happened. He said, I've been working in this office for years, and I won the lottery. And that day, I did the happy dance and told my boss I quit, and I stormed out of there, and I bought myself a big old house, and I sat in it for a year. And he goes, I got depressed. He said, I discovered that I, I do this well, this reality stuff, and I missed it. And I, I discovered an emptiness in me when I was not active contributing you know, to society in a way that was meaningful. And he said, after a year of dark depression, I came to my boss and said, yeah, any way I could get my job back? And he said, really? And I explained to him what was going on inside of me, and he graciously gave me my job. And he goes, I love it. These days, as I've thrown myself into it for a different reason, I love it all the more. And I go, wow. And I remember walking out of there, not thinking about our potential home, but thinking about labor and scratching my head because I'll, I'll admit at that stage in my development of my theology of labor, I, I, I did view work as a necessary evil. And I thought, you know, had I got that opportunity, you know, $20 million, I would have just said, I'm never going to work a day in my life again. That was kind of where I was at at that time, a long time ago. And folks, I'm telling you, we need to understand what God intended for work so that our whole reason for doing it can be elevated to the beautiful vision God has for work. That's what this series is all about. Thank God it's Monday. You know the phrase, it goes, thank God it's Friday. Normally, you celebrate work being over. What if we 
came to a point where we actually celebrated work beginning. Thank God it's Monday. Thank God I get to do this. What if God's vision for our jobs could be so extraordinary and so change the way that we see what we do each day, each day at work, that we found our hearts exploding with the unexperienced joy. That's the goal of this series. And we've been uh, started our study uh, last week in Colossians chapter 3. And the rest of the series is all out of this one passage, Colossians chapter 3. There, the, the Lord speaks through the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, specifically to the slaves that were there. And we learned last week that the ancient world, slaves were the majority of the workforce. It was the laborers. And so it's very appropriate and helpful for us to Apply that teaching to us as employees. And that's what we're doing. And as we talk about the motivation, about the, the diligence that God desires, we, we turn to Colossians 3, verse 23. Very short little verse. But it's important and it's powerful if we apply it. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Isn't that interesting? The whatever you do, you got to remember the context is he's speaking to the slaves about their work. So in other words, he's saying whatever assignment you may have, whatever task you have been instructed to fulfill, whatever job you may have, doesn't matter. Paul says God's vision is that you do it with all your heart. That's diligence. On the job site. And I would just ask you, do you work with all of your heart in that way? Are you a hard, motivated worker? You know what they call this sometimes? They call this concept of working so hard in connection to your faith. It's been referred to as the Protestant work ethic. Maybe you've heard of that phrase before. Uh, the, The phrase actually comes from a guy named Max Weber. Max Weber lived a hundred years ago, and he was the one who coined that term. He was a very uh, famous sociologist striving to understand what caused this great economic boom that coincided with the Protestant Reformation. And his question was, is there a correlation? You've got this spiritual revival known as the Protestant Reformation in Europe, And there's a simultaneous explosion of the economy. And he studied and he believed that he found a connection. He he recognized that in the Middle Ages, sometimes called the Dark Ages, in Europe, for century after century, they were in economic decline. There was just poverty. But he also noticed that there was a hatred of labor in those days. Labor was shameful. You know, the, 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 the rich had servants and the servants did the work and the rich did nothing. And that was kind of the goal. Work was seen as a punishment. In fact, there was a little bit of Christian knowledge of scripture, not much, because you know why people couldn't read the Bible in those days before the Protestant Reformation. The Bible was in ancient languages no longer read. And so the only thing people knew is what the priests who knew the original language is what they told them. And so they had heard of a few verses. One of them that was understood is out of the book of Genesis. Genesis 3, verse 17. This is after Adam and Eve sinned, after rebellion entered planet Earth. God announced, cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil you will eat from it. 
Adam and Eve were farmers, gardeners. And God said, because of sin, you're going to find it really, really hard. The sweat of your brow, the ache of your back is going to yield fruit and sparingly sometimes. And so it's understandable why people said, you know, we live in a fallen, sinful world and God has punished us by demanding labor of us. And so we each, each morning, go off to that punishment to put in our time. You know, I, uh, I was talking at Ace Hardware to this gal working behind the cashier and I said, how's your day? I like to strike up conversations with folks sometimes. How's your day going? She said, uh... I suppose good, it's passing by fast. And I go, that's, that's good? And she goes, oh yeah, I just want to get out of here. I, I have to put in two more hours and I'm out of here. You know, and I could see it in her eyes and that's not uncommon. People just saying, work is a necessary evil that I've got to do and as soon as I'm done, man, I'm, I'll start living by getting out of here. Is that the right theology. Well, Max Weber, as he started to analyze what Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation and others did back then, he, he discovered that one of the things they did was they brought the Bible to the people. Martin Luther translated the Bible into the common language of the folk. And rather than knowing only a few scattered passages, they started being able to dive in themselves and discover the full vision of God about all things in life, including work. And you know what they discovered to their surprise? Is that this is not the first time labor, toil, is mentioned in the Bible. It's at the beginning, three, but we need to go back to the previous chapter, chapter two. So let's do that now. Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it, to garden Now, here's what's important. What chapter are we in? Two. Where does the fall take place? The fall is the reference to Adam and Eve's sin. When does moral rebellion enter? That was at the beginning of three. And so that previous verse we read, yes, that was all about the fall. This is before sin entered the world. This is part of God's perfect plan. When God created planet Earth, he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, all right, here's how it's going to work. I have a way that I'm going to fill your days with meaningful activity that will demand the best of you and yield fruit that will bless your life and others. It's called work. I've created you to work. Isn't that? All right, we have celebration of that. I'm glad... You're clapping alone. The rest of you need to listen up, all right? Let's get in. <laughs> Folks, it's God's plan that we work. This is part of the beauty of creation. You know, when God looked at what he had made and he said, ah, it's good. Part of what he was describing as good was work. And uh, we need to realize that God desired to satisfy our souls, to give us a sense of significance, a sense of accomplishment through labor. What I find interesting about this verse, check this out. God made the Garden of Eden, which is kind of the perfected you know, world that Adam and Eve were introduced to. And yet, as perfected as it was, 
it still required work. Another way of saying it is that the Lord made planet Earth some assembly required. <laughs> have you ever bought something that some assembly required? Uh, I'll warn you, if you have not been to Ikea, great store, <laughs> great products, cheap prices, but man, I bought this like shelving unit for our closet, and when I opened it up, I'm like, oh, yay, yay. I mean, they didn't do anything. I got to do it all, you know? It feels like Well, in some ways, that's how God did it. God could have, very easily, it would not have, you know, God didn't create some assembly required because he's lazy. God could have done it all. He could have buttoned it all up. He could have made the world with houses and computers and roads and pizza on the table ready to be eaten. Could have, but he didn't. And he said, I'm going to make it. It's going to be extraordinary, but it won't be finished yet. There will be this unaccessed potential to make the world great. And God says, I'm going to take it so far, but leave it there so that they must play a role in the creative process for it to achieve the true potential of planet Earth. And so God made it some assembly required purposefully so we'd have the joy of contributing and doing something really meaningful. And I, I saw this uh, just a few weeks ago. We were, remember we had Mark Malnati from Lou Malnati's in? Prior to that, we had a little promo video that we shot for that week, sent it out via email. Many of you received it. Um, in that video, I was invited to go into the kitchen of Lou Malnati's, and we filmed there of the making of the pizza. And I'll never forget, Mark introduced us to uh, Arturo was his name. And Arturo was maybe Mark's very best cook. He's been with the company for over three decades. He's one of the cooks that contributes to the fine-tuning of the recipe to make it extraordinary. And we got to watch Arturo make these pizzas. The man's a genius. I mean, it was unbelievable. He takes that dough, and he is going around forming it like this, and then these ingredients, you know. And I mean, it just was a marvel. And he made it perfect. Put it in the lower oven for just the right amount of time, the upper oven for just the right amount of time. He flipped it out of the pan, cut it up, served it to me. I went to a table and, oh, enjoyed that pizza. I went to Arturo and I looked him in the eyes and I said, you are an artist. I said, my friend, you make one of the finest things on planet Earth. And to watch you make it, to eat your pizza, I said, I just, I I stand in awe at what you do. Arturo glowed as I said that. He didn't argue with me, you know. His face said, yes, you are right, I am. But the pride, the, the joy that he takes in taking the skill that he's fine-tuned and creating a masterpiece and seeing the joy I receive in it. That's God's plan. God intended work to be something that brings dignity. Now you say, uh, only if you have you know, a really high intellectual white-collar job. No! Whatever job you may have, there is nothing menial 
in the eyes of God. It is all part of his plan. And as we give our best to whatever assignment we have been given, we honor God and fulfill his vision for planet Earth uh, when we do it. So God plans for this uh, to be work, for work to be part of life, a very meaningful, important part of life. And the question of why is God so fired up about work is a fair question, and there's actually more to the answer. In fact, let's go back even further. We started in Genesis 3, went to Genesis 2. How about Genesis 1? Genesis 1, it says this, God created mankind. Here's our beginning, all right? God created mankind in his own image. God said, as I create people, I want to create them like me. And if we could just look at this verse here for a moment. What does the verse say? God says he's making us in his own image. What do we know about God from this verse? We know that he makes things. You know, if we were to do a simple analysis of this verse, uh, if we're like him, one of the ways that we're like him is that we're a creator. Let me go to Genesis 2 here. This is verse 2 and 3 to just show you how God is into work. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. And, and you, you say, wait a minute, work of creating? Is creating work? I thought God enjoyed creating the world. Oh, he did. But it's work. And folks, that's the key. God finds joy in creating. He worked hard building this world. And when he stood back and looked at it and said, Ah, it's delicious. I made a perfection. The Lord found joy and satisfaction in his work. And he wants us to be like him. God says, I am a working God. To this day, God is working in our world. And when he made Adam and Eve, let's go back to that verse. He said, the Lord took the man, put him in the garden, and said, now you, like me, will work. Folks, when we work, we reflect the image of God. When we work hard and do our best, we reflect the image of God even more. Because that's how God does it. And the Lord says, I want my joy to be your joy. Do you want to understand what God is like? Work hard. Step back and look at what you've done and find joy in it. You're tasting of the heart of God. You know what I did this week? I planted an oak tree. In fact, I have a picture. This is my backyard and this little oak. Don't laugh. It's small. But someday it'll be more impressive. Now, you say, is that the acorn that you planted this last? No. If you were here at Christmas, I uh, told the story of how I longed to have an oak tree in my yard. My old home had a number of these big, majestic oaks. I had taken some acorns from my old yard, and I had followed the instructions on the Internet to try to put them in this potting soil in the refrigerator for months, and I failed. I, I must have had dead acorns or something. I don't know what went wrong. It's trickier than you think. So I, I put that task aside and I said, you know, I'm going to instead go to the tree nursery and I'm going to buy a, a little uh, 
broke, and I put it in the back of my pickup truck, and I drove it home. My wife and I picked the spot. Twelve kids from the neighborhood came around. They were all excited about this. I went and got my shovel, and I dug the hole exactly the size that I had read on the Internet you need to build. The guy at the tree farm told me about it, too, and he said to put in fertilizer at this level and make sure the dirt is all finely broken up. And I did everything just right. I worked hard at it, made sure it was good and straight. And when I was done, and all the kids, you know, and I backed up and we looked at it. Something overcame me. There was a joy that I need to try to describe to you. I, first, I imagined the tree someday, you know, centuries from now, being this massive tree, and maybe great-great-great-grandchildren will say, yes, our great-great-great-grandfather, Jeff, planted this tree with the help of a bunch of neighborhood kids. But it went beyond that. There was a sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. There was something about tilling the, breaking the soil and digging the hole and planting the tree and watering it and fertilizing it and seeing it that resonated with me that this is kind of stuff God created me to do. And that when I took delight in some tree being there that wasn't there before, God said, yes, you're tasting the creative passion that burns in my heart and you're enjoying a little bit of my emotion in this moment. I was tasting of the divine, if you will. And, and you, a, a guy uh, last night came up to me after church and he said, I love that illustration, Jeff, because I work for the Forest Preserve and I plant trees. That's what I do. And, and you may say, I don't do anything like planting trees. It doesn't matter what you do. You, your work is creative and reflects the heart of God. You say, mine's not creative. You create something with your labor. For some, it's obvious. You know, you're creating a song or you're creating a movie. You're, you're creating, a, you know, whatever, a house or a street or maybe... Others, the creative element of it is not as immediately apparent, but if you think about it, it's there. What exists that wouldn't exist because of what you do? Is it a computer program that blesses people? Is it a service you provide that brings life or opportunity to someone that wouldn't have it? Are you in the lending business that enables the financial backing for things to be created? Are you creating knowledge in people through teaching? Are you creating health in people through your work at the hospital? Whatever it may be, think about it. Your job is creating something and in bringing about something that was not, you are stepping into the heart, the passion of God himself. And I pray you find his satisfaction in it. You reflect the very heart of God when you embrace your job enthusiastically. Well, folks, that uh, brings us back to our main verse. And so if we can, return for a moment to Colossians 3, 23. And I think we can understand this better, having taken the journey into Genesis that we did. God says, this thing about work, it's not bad. In fact, it's good, and I want you to do it well. Do it with all your heart. Maybe I need to broaden the application here. Some of you are saying, again, I'm retired, Jeff. This has no application to me. No, it does. 
Uh, as a retired person, you are in a blessed opportunity where you don't have to work for money anymore, but your time is still a resource to be stewarded to God. God, what would you have me do with my time? Is it to help a neighbor? Is it to serve someone in my family? Is it to serve at church? Uh, you are to say, Lord, take my time. I, I work. You don't get paid for it, but neither did the Lord when he created the world, so you're in his camp. But it's still work. And maybe you're a student. Your job is your studies. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Your job is bringing order out of chaos at home and creating a functional, healthy home where kids are being discipled in the ways of Christ. That is your job. Whatever, we all have a job given to us by God if we're willing to hear. And do it with all your heart because that is part of the blessing he gave at creation and it reflects his very nature when we do so. You know, I wanted to uh, show you a picture. If you've been around at the Compass Church for some time, you may recall me showing this to you before. But I hang this picture in our home. Here's actually a zoom in on it. I saw this picture in my grandmother's house originally. And I had no idea who he was when I saw it, but I was enamored by the photo. I, first of all, just the classic look, you know, the old car in the back. This was taken in the 60s. And this guy just had this warmth to his look on his face. I saw love in his eyes and a peace and a joy in his face. I also noticed his hands look strong. And so I asked my grandmother, who is this? She goes, that's my dad. It's it's your great-grandfather, Ingvald Hansen. What a name, Ingvald. I must say I'm glad not to be named after you, sir. But uh, (laughs) Ingvald Hansen was a carpenter. Not just a carpenter, he was a cabinet maker. And he loved his job. My grandmother described how he was known for doing his craft with excellence. He was sought after because of the heart he put into his job. And he took joy not only in being paid, but even more so in seeing the joy on the faces of his customers as they looked at the functional art, if you will, that he had created and installed in their kitchens. And he loved his job. Now, I I was like, "Uh, Grandma didn't look like a carpenter. I mean, that's not a You don't wear a hat like that. She goes, well, here's what happened. She said, Jeff, he retired at 65, uh, was able to because of his frugal stewardship of resources, and he needed to because carpentry, cabinet making, is a hard job where you're lifting these cabinets up onto the wall, and his aging body required him to retire. But my grandma said that when he retired, he grew antsy and a little frustrated that he missed contributing to people's lives in a meaningful way. And he struck up a conversation with a friend of his who owned a little bank here in Chicago. And his friend said, well, I've had this idea of starting a, uh, or having a a doorman at my bank. He said, I, I don't know, I just thought maybe there could be someone who could greet the customers at the door, open the door for them, maybe run out to their car, open the car door for them. If it's raining, hold an umbrella, escort them into the building. And my great-grandfather Ingvald said, I want the job. 
And his buddy said, I can't pay you much. You don't have to pay me anything. It's not about the money. I want to work. In his retirement years, he poured himself into serving people in this capacity. And I just reflect on this picture saying, he gets it. He understood the ways of God, the plan of God. And he did so with excellence to reflect the heart of God in the matter. Might your descendants hang a picture of you on the wall someday? And might your reputation of, among other things, be that they loved their job, poured their heart into it, did it with diligence, and honored God in the doing? May that be true of you. Say, it's not true of me. Well, may it be true of you in the days ahead. I pray that we would have a theology of labor that is well integrated into our lives, that we would see what we do. You, know, you say, but Jeff, remember that verse about it's been messed up by the fall. Remember Satan, uh, you know, tempted Adam and Eve, they sinned, and God said, your labor's cursed. You're right. It's cursed. It's broken. It's twisted. It's frustrating. The ground does not give up fruits as easy as it should. But even though it's frustrating, that doesn't change the dignity that's there and what God originally created. And so what should we do? If we hate our job, we should say, Lord, I'm just going to be honest, I hate my job. Can you help me, Lord? Can you help me with your strength deal with the frustrating side of it? And can you help me see the glory in the foundation just of working hard? Can you help me embrace that? Can you help me see what I didn't see last week? Can you help me see it this week? And maybe, Lord, what I hate, you can redeem and make beautiful in me again. The Lord does that, you know. The curse and the fall came, but so came the Redeemer. Jesus came to rescue, to wipe sin away in our lives, and to begin to restore the brokenness in this world caused by sin. And I pray that God makes something beautiful out of your work life. In fact, let me pray towards that end. God, we thank you. I'm going to say it. We thank you for work. We thank you for our jobs. And not only the paycheck that comes with them, we thank you for the dignity found in working for you. God, would you help us to get beyond this culture's view of work as a bad thing? Would you help us to see and embrace your vision for labor? And God, I pray that you would help those who are suffering at work. Help them handle the problems and enjoy the dignity of the task. Please, God, do a work in each of my friends here. We pray this in Jesus' name.